I don't think I've ever been in the pulpit this early in a service before, and that's a, it's a dangerous thing for a preacher. I got lots of time. <laughs> it was wonderful this morning to watch our children singing here, and I could see a father sitting with a youngest child down in front of the uh, modesty rail of the pew here, and he was mouthing the words to the song for his daughter to be able to join in, and delightful. I want to read from the Gospel of John this morning. Our text of Scripture comes from the 17th chapter. It's the prayer of Jesus at the end of his ministry for his followers, not only the disciples who were present with him at the time, but for all his followers that would come, including us. We pick up the text in the 20th verse at the conclusion of that prayer. Listen for God's word. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for this day, this Mother's Day in which we celebrate. We celebrate your gifts to us that come through our mothers and through all who extend those gifts to others. Speak to us now, O Lord, as only a living God can. For we come in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, preaching on Mother's Day is always a bit of a challenge. You have to approach it a little bit like a gardener would approach a trellis full of roses. You're aware of the beauty, but you better be cognizant of the thorns. Now, in our church here, the tradition is that uh, we hand out roses to all the women as they leave from worship. But even that seems to be getting more complicated these days, given some of the laws that are being passed in the South. So I, I can assure you, we won't be checking your birth certificates to receive a rose this morning. Now, in the South, there is a tradition that you wear a rose on Mother's Day. And if your mother is still living, you wear a red rose. And if your mother has gone on to that great cloud of witnesses, you wear a white rose. And so, this weekend, there's something like 60 million roses that are sold throughout the country. 
Now, when I think of the cloud of witnesses, I know there are some of us here who are a little worried about our mothers looking down and being constantly observant of our behavior. That's not a comfort for some of us. There's a lot of guilt that can go with that. Robert Fulgham, before he became a best-selling author, was a minister and He talks about the expectations that ministers face on Mother's Day. One of the more outspoken women of his church summarized the situation with these words. I'm bringing my mother to church on Mother's Day, Reverend. You can talk about anything you want, but it better include mother and it better be good. Of course, there's another Mother's Day that we celebrate each year, and that's our birthdays. Once again, mom did all the work and we just showed up. And that's kind of the way it continues. But as much sentimentality as there is for Mother's Day, it can also be a painful day for many. Some of us have grown up in homes with mothers who were unable to love us the way we needed. Some of us have lost our mothers too soon. Some have known manipulation and estrangement and abandonment and addictions, even mental illness, in our mothers. And some of us have longed to be mothers but could not. The Bible's full of stories of women who wanted children but could not have them. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, and those are just in the book of Genesis. There's Hannah and Samuel, Elizabeth and Luke. So we have to be careful because this day doesn't always bring joy and warm sentimental feelings for everyone. It's interesting that John's gospel is the only gospel that tells the story of Jesus' mother Mary, who was standing at the foot of the cross with Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, and John, the disciple whom he loved standing next to his mother. And as Jesus is dying, he said to his mother, here is your son, directing her to John. And then to John he said, here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home, writes John. Jesus redefined family relationships, and he broadened them to include brothers and sisters in faith. So the church becomes something of an extended family for one another. I can't help but wonder this morning what Jesus might say to us. Would he say something like, look at that young person who's handing out flowers to you today at the end of the service. Here is your son or here is your daughter. Or might he say, look at that woman in the pew next to you who's just lost her husband. Or the man who's alone because his children live on the other side of the country. Here is your mother. Here is your father. Have you ever thought about inviting someone from church who might be alone this year to your Mother's Day celebration or to Christmas or to Easter? Have you considered how important the extension of your family might be for the single people who live in our community simply because they're going to school here? 
You know, there used to be a program here that I think many of you may have participated in that would host international students who attended Caltech on Thanksgiving and who couldn't go home for the celebration. Christ gives us an extended family, complete with all the added difficulties and challenges, but also with great love and great joy. As the culture redefines what a family is, perhaps the church ought to reconsider the family relationships which Jesus invites us to embrace as those who are loved by God and called by God to love others. You know, in the New Testament, one of the ways that New Testament writers and theologians talk about what has happened in Jesus Christ is that we've been adopted into God's family. Maybe we should begin to think more broadly about who is in our family. For instance, I have a friend, Wayne Meisel, who wrote in the Huffington Post recently a challenge to churches. AmeriCorps celebrated their opening day this year with 75,000 young adults who are willing to serve in communities around the country in organizations like Teach for America. 15,000 communities are being served by these young people between the ages of 21 and 35. They want their lives to matter. They want to do something that's significant in their communities. They want to be part of a solution to the problems that we're facing as a society. There are almost one million people, young people, who have served with AmeriCorps. It's something like the Peace Corps used to be back in the 60s and 70s. So the Center for Faith and Service has, has launched an initiative, the National Service Chaplaincy. It's headed by a guy named Chris Flowers. The idea is, why not get church communities involved in supporting these young people who are in their communities serving the needs of others? According to Chris Flowers, quote, community is the only proper response to the world's need. While institutions of faith develop conferences to further discuss the millennial exodus from the church, those young adults are richly engaged in being agents of love and justice in the neighborhoods where our congregations reside. These national service volunteers are embodying the identity houses of faith claim. And if we as people of faith are to be wholeheartedly make meaning of our existence, it must be alongside their efforts. End quote. Here's a great idea how our church might support those people who are in Los Angeles with Teach for America and trying to do something to bring social justice and reconciliation to our communities. Our text this morning, Jesus' prayer for His followers, includes us. That we would be one just as Christ is one with God, so that Christ may be in us and we may be one with Him. 
There's a fancy theological term for what has happened in Christ. It's called atonement. And it's just the conjunction of the words at one meant. It's Jesus' prayer for his followers. And the irony is that as much as Jesus wants us to be one, we are a divided people. According to the study, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, there's two and a half billion Christians on the planet. It's about a third of the world's population. We're organized in about 45,000 denominations. Numerous language groups, ethnicities, countries throughout the world. Our own Presbyterian church has recently divided again, just within the last five years. We continue to find fault in and with each other, and we divide over our differences. Now, family was once described as the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And the church essentially is an extended family by that definition. Christ calls us together. It's our common allegiance to Him, not our commonalities that draw us together. The Lord brings people into our lives through the family life of the church, and they become sometimes even closer than mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. Now, as many of you know, I left home when I was 17 years old. I hitchhiked across the country to Montana. I arrived in Bozeman, Montana, and all I had was the name of a doctor who was a supporter of Young Life and a friend of the leader that I had recently met in my own community. So I went to his office because there was no place else to go. I sat there for a few hours, and when Dr. John Heaterks was done seeing patients for the day, he came out, we had a conversation in his waiting room, and then he took me home to be with his family, a family of four children. Changed my life. Taught me how to play handball. I still play handball. He was like a second father to me. And I visited with he and his wife just recently, a couple of summers ago. Their hospitality, because of their faith, provided needed protection and direction at a time in my life where it made such a remarkable impact. It seems to me there's a growing need today for the family of faith, to care for those who through no fault of their own were born into difficult and even abusive situations. Grandparents are often raising their grandchildren because parents are unable emotionally or financially to care for their own children. And mothers are often the ones who hold it all together. They are under greater pressure today, perhaps, than ever before. I love the story about the four pastors who were discussing the merits of various translations of the Bible. One like the King James Version because it's so poetic and the simplistic 
English language is beautiful. Another like the American Standard Version because it's more literal and it comes nearer to the original Greek and the Hebrew. And yet another like the New Revised Standard Version because it incorporates the latest findings from the Dead Sea Scrolls into the text. The fourth minister remained silent. When he was asked to express his opinion, he replied, you know, I like my mother's translation. The other three kind of expressed surprise. What do you mean? Your mother translated the Bible? Oh, yes, yeah, she did, he replied. She translated it into life. And it was the most convincing translation I've ever heard. Now, I hope you had such a mother. I hope you are such a mother or a father or friend or partner. And I know that the Lord, the Creator who made you and loves you with a sacrificial and unconditional love goes well beyond anything we may have ever known. You and I belong to the family of this Lord. You and I are children of God. We're brothers and sisters in this extended family of faith. And by the power of God's love, you and I can learn to love as parents, no matter what challenges we're facing in our family life. So let us give thanks for mothers today and those who mother others and for our family heritage today as members of the family of faith. And let us work to extend the love of Christ to those who are without families and those who are in broken families because it seems to me the need has never been greater for the church to be the extended family of God. Our world is filled with divisions and growing tensions and it is still in need of a witness from God's people that there is a way to live peacefully with one another rather than apart from one another or against one another. So we thought it fitting on this Mother's Day that we should share this table. This is the Lord's table. We eat and drink at this table and we celebrate our diversity and we celebrate our unity, proclaiming together our witness to the world that a church dedicated to Jesus Christ and loving one another will endure. Jesus Christ is our peace. So let us come to the table of the Lord and find here that which makes for peace in human life, in our homes, in our communities, and in the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.